the other night we were singing Thursday night, we were singing Onward Christian Soldiers. We did it again this morning. Uh, we were singing Onward Christian Soldiers, and in the middle of it, on the first or second verse, I don't remember which one, in the middle, it, it occurs to me, we never hear of being soldiers in the army of God anymore. We never hear of the battle going on. We never sing of the soldiers of the cross. We never sing of the battle anymore. We keep it sweet and simple, full of blessing, full of hope. God bless me, and Lord, I bless you. We sing of him, but never of how we serve him, how we must fight to spread the gospel or the battle that we are in day to day to serve our Lord. We, we, we never sing about that. We never talk about that. We want to get up, dress up, look nice and pretty, go in, have a little flowery message, come back home, and we're done for the week. We don't talk about the battle. We don't talk about the fray. We don't talk about the casualties that happen all the time. Sometimes you and your wife arguing before a service, that's Satan, not necessarily you two, except with us two. We do that all the time. You know, sometimes when your kids are acting up, it's not your kids. It's the influence of Satan trying to drive you out, drive, get your mind off the service, get your mind off serving God, get your mind off going to church, because some people will give up in that battle when it's time to get the kids up. We seldom sing, talk, or think of the war we are in. Most of us want all the blessings and peace and joy, but none of the warfare. We decided long ago that the war was going to be won in the end, so why should we fight the battles? How many times do you hear, well, I know how it ends. Okay, but we still got to fight the battle. Why put ourselves out there? That's the thought we have. We're already going to win in the end, so why put ourselves out there? Why risk it? We risk it because that's what Christians are supposed to do. We risk it because that's what we are commanded to do. It says, go forth and teach all nations. It doesn't say, go out for an hour and go home instead. It says, go forth and teach all nations. We very seldom talk about the armor of God anymore. Paul talks of it in Ephesians, the whole armor of God, and why it's there. It's there to design to defend you in battle. It's there to help you get forth and carry into battle that we don't... Uh, we don't just fall apart at the first sign of conflict. It's armor that we wear as we go forth into the battle of the everyday, not armor to wear as we go forth and sit in an easy chair. As kids, we sing, I'm in the Lord's army. As kids, we sing, onward Christian soldiers. As kids, we sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. You remember in the Lord's army, right? Mm -hmm. We sing that all the time as children. We don't do it anymore. Whether adults or children, we are not teaching this warfare, this battle readiness, as a way of life. We're teaching it as, well, let's go to church for an hour. Okay, now the rest of the time, the rest of the week is ours. But that's not, we are in a battle day to day, every day. God even gave us a couple instances of those battles. We're going to go to Daniel 10. We're going to do two verses here. This is not where we're going to linger, but this is where we're going to look. Daniel 10, 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, 
Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Daniel was praying. For three weeks, Daniel was praying, chastening himself, trying to figure out what's going on, humbling himself, bowing before the throne of grace for three weeks. And the second he started praying, God sent the answer. Michael was sent to give Daniel the answer. But the prince of Persia, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and a reference to Satan and or his minions, for truly, if the prince of Persia were a human prince, they could not have stood against an angel, let alone a major angel like Michael and Gabriel. Okay? So the answer was sent from the throne because Daniel was a faithful servant. He was a loyal servant. He was a righteous servant. He was an earnest prayer. Daniel prayed. The answer was sent, but it was held up for three weeks. Satan and his minions fought against the messenger. <clears throat> Daniel had prayed, and he had prayed. Yet Satan had the prayer answer held up. Why? To make Daniel doubt, to make Daniel fear, to keep Daniel from a victorious frame of mind. Satan and his minions were fighting with the angels to keep Daniel from getting the message. That's spiritual warfare, and we're in that today, whether you believe it or not. Now, I do want to note that Satan did not stop the answered prayer. Satan did not stop Daniel from getting the answer. God said it, Daniel got it. Satan did not stop it, but he did hinder it. He could have caused Daniel to backslide, thinking there, there was no problem. He could have caused Daniel to fear and doubt. He could have caused Daniel to walk away. Daniel stayed faithful. The answer got there, but it took three weeks. Daniel was faithful. Daniel was righteous. Daniel had a testimony that could not be besmirched, and he was in spiritual warfare. How much more do you think we are in this day and age? We no longer talk of this spiritual warfare. We no longer speak of this spiritual warfare. We no longer even acknowledge that this is going on. We have gotten so far off track with what Christianity is that we have forgotten we will be opposed if we're preaching the gospel. We have forgotten that the spread of the gospel the truth of man's sin, the passion of Jesus, that none will go to heaven except through Jesus, we have forgotten the trials that that message will bring to a lost and dying world. They don't want to hear how bad they are. They only want to hear how good they are. And none of us good. Only God is good. It says that in Romans. There is a spiritual battle going on anytime you try to witness. You can feel it. Man wants to believe no matter what he does, he is good enough. That's not the way God says it. If there is a higher standard for man, if there is a higher authority for man than man, man will have to live up to that higher standard. Man will have to live up to that higher authority. Therefore, man doesn't want it. He wants to think he's the final authority. He's not. God is. Satan and his minions don't want you to live up to God's standards. Satan and his minions wants man to set the standards and set themselves up as the final authority. Why? Because that will set man up for a fall. Satan 
If you remember, he wanted to be God. And in his pride, he was cast down. Man is still trying to be God. And in our pride is our downfall. It's the way it works. We are in a spiritual warfare. When we preach the truth of the gospel, and we tell men of their sin and their need for Christ, there will be warfare. Not just for you, not just for the proclaimer, not just for the one telling, but for those listening, there is a war going on for their hearts and their minds. When their hearts are being pricked by the Spirit, Satan's over there working double time to keep them from hearing the message. When we preach the gospel, there is a struggle going on in the hearts and the minds of the hearers. That's why it's so important to have people praying during every service. Have people praying every service, not just for the one proclaiming, but for the ones hearing. Satan wants to keep the ones hearing dull and disinterested. God and the Spirit want to prick their hearts and consciences. This is a struggle. God and Satan are in a struggle for the person who's in the middle of this, who's hearing, who's under these influences, and that person must decide which voice they're going to listen to. Three voices in your life, yours, God's, Satan's. Which voice are you listening to? If Satan and his minion cannot silence us, they will work to make our message of no effect. If they cannot silence the word, they will demean it. They will cheapen it. They will make the word of God of no consequence. We are in a battle, and daily we must be ready to fight. The Apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians. He does. He knows this because he's in a major battle. He tells you how to prepare for the battle each and every day. We're going to Ephesians 6.10. The Apostle Paul knows a lot about troubles and trials, and he's going to tell you the most effective way to fight these troubles and trials. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul is not mincing words. Paul is not at all making this sound like an easy uh, walk through the park, is he? We do not wrestle against man, but we wrestle against the forces of darkness. What are the forces of darkness? Anything against God? Because God is light. Anything against God is the forces of darkness. Satan and his minions. And believe me, if the archangel Michael had to come help some, another angel, if the two of them had to withstand the princes of Persia to get Daniel a message, you can bet we need to be ready and we need to be prepared. Because if Michael could not uh, win... If Michael could not win but could only contend with them, you can be sure as all get out. We can't win except through God and his power. And if we're not prepared, we will not stand as strong as Michael did. I'll guarantee you. Ephesians 6.13 Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The loins, or the mid-torso area, is to be covered in the truth. The breastplate of righteousness covers the chest and the abdomen. The weakest, the most vulnerable, part, vulnerable parts are right there, covered by the truth and by the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. But I want you to notice something here. There is no covering mentioned for the back. The back is to be protected from the front, not from the back. Why? There is no back covering. God does not expect you to turn your back on the fight. God does not expect you to turn your back on the enemy. Rest? Oh yeah. Eat? Certainly. Refresh yourself? Absolutely. But never turn your back on the fight or on the enemy because they'll get you the second you do. Ephesians 6.15, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation of the gospel of peace is to shod your feet. That means put them on like shoes, cover your feet with this. What does that mean, though? The gospel of the preparation, or the preparation of the gospel of peace. It means to study and be ready to stand firm in the foundation built on the study, the reading of the gospel and prayer. The feet shod in the gospel, prepared by study and prayer, are feet that will not fail or fall in the time of struggle. Feet that will provide a firm foundation for your standing on the word. 6.16 Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Notice he doesn't say some, he says all. The shield of faith. Your faith through prayer, study, reading. Your faith through the word of God. Your faith through hearing. Your faith through reading. Perhaps the greatest weapon we have is our faith when it is shored up by the prayer, the reading, and the studying. The shield of faith can protect you. And if that shield is breached, and it does happen, then we turn in prayer. We ask God. What happened? We study the word. We shore up the shield of faith. The fiery darts of the devil will seek to find spots of weakness, and that shield needs to be strong. They're going to look for places they can get in and do some damage, and that shield of faith has to be strong. And we keep that through prayer and study. Ephesians 6, 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, your salvation protects you. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not a violence-imposing sword as most think of a sword. No, this is a light-shining sword. A sword that will show the truth of the gospel to the hearers. A sword that doesn't cut them physically, but it cuts them spiritually. They hear the truth in what you speak. It pricks their hearts, their minds. The word of God is what convinces them. 6.18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then Paul asks, And for me, 
that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open the mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I find it interesting that supplication is mentioned twice in the same verse. And in the same section as spiritual warfare is discussed, Supplication is discussed. Made me a bit curious. What does supplication mean? Anybody know? Okay. Supplication means the action of asking or begging for something, but not just asking or begging for something, but asking or begging for something earnestly. Humbly. Supplication means you're talking to someone, you're begging something of them that you yourself cannot do. You need them to do it. You need them to help. Begging them. For all the saints to take care of them. Begging them. Earnestly or humbly. Praying with all prayer and supplication. They mean basically the same thing. So why the double wording on the part of the Apostle Paul? Because he wants to draw it to your attention. Praying is raising a petition, asking of God, talking to God. Supplication is begging, asking humbly, earnestly for something. It is the same thought as praying, but is an entirely different frame of mind in the suppl supplication versus the prayer. The supplication is begging, pleading, earnestly, crying out to God for something that only he can do. Prayer is petitioning, asking, talking to him. Do you see the difference? Paul wants you to beg for the saints, for him, for yourself, for protection, for guidance, and for the courage to speak what needs to be said. But not only the courage to speak what needs to be said, but the courage to speak when it needs to be said. Paul is getting ready to go on trial. He knows where the battlefield is. He knows who the enemy is. And he knows what the cost to him is going to be. He knows he's going to die if he follows this course. He does not back down for his own safety. He does not beg for his own life. He doesn't ask the saints to pray for his release. He doesn't ask the church to pray for his comfort. He asks the church for the courage to speak what needs to be said when it needs to be said. Paul wants courage to stand before Nero and say what needs to be said, to preach the gospel to Nero. He knows he's going to die for it. He's not asking for that to be taken away. He's asking for the courage when he's in front of Nero to preach the gospel that needs to be preached. He wants the whole armor of God to be on you. But I want you to note this. 
He doesn't want the armor of God on you for your sake. Not for Paul's sake, but for the mystery of the gospel to be spread. The whole armor of God is not for you to sit here at the back of the battle and, and, and cover and be protected. No, it's for you to be at the front line, protected, ready to fight and carry the gospel to other places. I certainly hope I'm making this clear. We are in a battle. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare. Paul, in that same war that we are in right now, is telling us to prepare to defend ourselves, but not for our sake, never for our sake, but for the gospel of Jesus, that it might be preached and spread throughout the world, that it might reach the hearts and minds of millions, billions of people on the face of this earth. Ephesians 6.20, this is how Paul finishes out the whole armor of God section. He says, the mystery of the gospel was, let's, let's do 19 together to make, make a little more sense. 619. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may, be, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is not praying for release. Paul is not praying for uh, comfort. Paul is not praying for to be released from custody. Paul is praying for victory. Paul is praying for the words to say to Nero that might pierce his heart. We ought to put on the whole armor of God to protect us as we proclaim the gospel. As we live a godly life in this corrupt world, put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to advance the line of battle as we contend in the faith for the spread of the gospel. We don't put on the whole armor of God for our sakes. We put on the whole armor of God in this spiritual warfare, in the spiritual battle for the gospel's sake. It's never meant to protect us. It's meant to help us advance against the enemy. Never look back. Never turn your back on the enemy. But put on the whole armor of God that we might have a chance to advance the gospel in this dark, dark world.